Welcome to the Food Magic Podcast. Join me on a journey to uncover the secret recipe to food and beverage industry success. Welcome back to the Food Magic Podcast. Today we have an extremely special guest, Jonathan Deutsch, who is the professor in the Department of Food and Hospitality Management at Drexel, as well as the director of the Drexel Food Lab. John, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. (laughs) Um, I am extremely excited to have John here today because he was part of my personal entrepreneurial story at Drexel um, in the kitchen where we did a lot of our R&D and it's just a very, very special place. So John, can you talk to us a little bit about your experience at Drexel and in the food industry and what really brought you into the lab? Absolutely. I have really fond memories of you starting out on the cookie cup journey in our, <laughs> in our kitchens until you got too big and successful. Um, and so, um, yeah, absolutely. So I've uh, been cooking professionally since, or washing dishes professionally and hanging <laughs> around kitchens uh, since I was 14. Um, and uh, went to culinary school with all sorts of ambitions to become a, a restaurant chef, you know, line cook, sous chef, restaurant chef sort of career path. Um, and I did that for a while. Um, I wouldn't say unsuccessfully, but um, I was not fulfilled by the, the kind of restaurant rush that a lot of people get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went, um, I heard about a job that intrigued me that actually um, a classmate of mine had. Um, and it was at Nestle um, in their research and development lab doing food product development. And it was an area of food that I'd never really heard of. I, I guess if you asked me, I would say, oh, yeah, there are some chefs who like, figure out how to make Toll House cookies or <laughs> Stouffer's meals or things like that. Um, but I'd never really thought about that as a career option and um, applied for an internship, got it, uh, loved it, and then um, stayed on there on a project basis um, for a number of years and um, then um, moved into education where I'd been continuing this sort of um, – research chef um, work as a, as a consulting gig and an occasional project. Um, but when I came to Drexel in 13, I realized I, I had a really interesting opportunity to combine those things, that we had students who were interested in careers in that area. Our department is very unique, having culinary arts and food science and hospitality management all together. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, Drexel really embodies this kind of learning by doing spirit. And so at other schools where I'd been teaching cooking, the, the sort of food industry, food product development side of my work was, was my, my, you know, golf game, my sort of weekend <laughs> sure. job. Um, and here I found a way to uh, incorporate students. The, the key student in all of this, you, you remember... Um, was Allie Zeitz, who started <laughs> in the food lab, started the food lab with me when she was a sophomore and then became um, an employee, our only employee full-time and, and a graduate student uh, and is now off in the world um, doing this for real, um, <laughs> real culinary R&D. And so um, it's been great. We've been working with a number of students and, and not just culinary students. So um, we have students from the product design major, from nutrition, uh, we've had students pass through from um, environmental science and LeBo and all sorts of um, other fields. And so that's been really rich that um, 
brings a variety of perspectives and you know the students all have this common common love of food and this common um, ambition to um, bring new products to market definitely so from all the classes you've ever taught which has been the most interesting for you I love teaching food product development. Um, obviously, it's what I do a lot in the food lab, and um, we've had a really um, great model. For a while, we had an interim director, um, Paul Jensen, who's the dean of the LeBeau College of Business, and um, he has been big on um, experiential consulting courses, and we had a lot of success, actually before Paul, but um, really fostered by Paul, of these um, hands-on experiential courses where students are doing um, product development. So believe it or not, there, there are many food product development classes taught nationally where um, they're all sort of taught the same way. There's a textbook that, mm -hmm. that we use, um, there's PowerPoints, and then the students do some sort of project where they develop their own product as like the final. Um, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But we've had a lot of success doing real product development. So, working with, um, we worked with United Health Group, which is really interested in promoting, they're a health insurer, so they're really interested in promoting um, healthier food products that could save them money on medic medications. Uh, we worked with Aramark um, doing vegetarian and vegan menus. We've worked with Bimbo Bakeries USA on food waste and some branding, health-related branding projects. Um, so that's been really rich. Um, this semester I'm teaching culture and gastronomy, which is, I think, part and parcel of all of this work. That mm -hmm. um, We have to understand gastronomy is the study of people and their relationship with food. So sort of the social and cultural aspects of food. So food is so much more than nutrition. If yeah. you have a cookie cup, you know, it's it's a very inefficient and expensive way to get calories, right? It's not right. about the calories. It's about it's the not. experience. It's about the flavor, the treat, the special occasion, right? Mm -hmm. All of those things go into your decision to buy something like, like your product among the thousands of other products in the store. And so the gastronomy course kind of gets to that. Why do we eat what we eat? How did we come to eat this way? What do we value? What do we look for? And, you know, that informs us from a just kind of a social science and humanities perspective, but it also, I think, really helps entrepreneurs to think about what is in the head of their consumer. Definitely. Definitely. So our guests, a lot of them have ideas on products to bring to market or maybe restaurants to open and let's say they don't have a background in the food industry and maybe they hadn't had the chance to meet you at Drexel. What do you think some of their first steps should be if they're embarking on this foodpreneur journey? Yeah, I, I mean, with, with all nothing but respect for people with entrepreneurial ambitions, it's, it's been kind of a frustration point for, mm -hmm. for me and my colleagues to hear very entrepreneurial, very business savvy students be like, oh, I can cook something. I'm going to start a food business. You know, um, the food business can be really rewarding, but it's also really complicated. And so I would say the most important thing, and, and I'm interested to hear if you're, I know you're interviewing me, but I'm interested to hear if your experience <laughs> bears this out. I feel like the most important thing you could do is find a food partner. You know, you yeah. could be a great entrepreneur. But the devil's in the details with these things. And, and being able to cook something well 
is just the beginning. You know, I can't tell you how many Laveau students, Wharton students, Fox students I talk to who say, I make the best chocolate chip cookie or cracker or cupcake or whatever it is, and I have a great business education and I want to start a food company. And they have no conception of supply chain, packaging, food safety, um, co-packing versus manufacturing, mm-hmm. you know, um, shelf space, retail versus food service. All of those things are things you have to work out. And we can help with that to some extent. Mm-hmm. But really, it's such a... Um, you need so many specialists in so many different areas. So um, we, our expertise... In the, in the Drexel Food Lab is, is a really small slice of that um, product development process. We, mm-hmm. we basically go from you have an idea and you have a good understanding of the market and where this business can go. Um, so you have to start with that. We don't do the market studies and the market research and the proposition um, mm-hmm. for the business. We can help formulate um, based on consumer uh, interests. And we can help make some suggestions towards commercialization. But we typically hand off a formula completed and say, here's something that we think aligns with what we're hearing consumers say and where you see the opportunity in the market. But then it becomes up to you as the entrepreneur to figure out how to get this to market, how to make the sales, the marketing, the branding, the packaging. You know, we can make some recommendations of who you might um, enjoy working with or who, who might be effective. Um, but really, no one is expert in all of the steps. It wouldn't be know. possible to be an expert in all yeah, of them, and it's think. and Yeah, and I think people are surprised when they see us that, um, you know, what do you mean this is going to take months? And <laughs> you, you know, you can't give me a, a formula tomorrow. You know, right. this is, as you know, you're still working on your products. And totally. New, new products and new flavors. And we talked about some, some technical hurdles today, you know, um, for something that, that you were looking for. So it, um, it takes years to do well. And, and we're just seeing some things from our early days you know, hitting, hitting the market. So it can be, it can be challenging. Are there any shout outs you want to make to students that have gone through your program? Um, sure. I mean, uh, you're, you're a great, uh, case study, not a culinary major, (laughs) but that's okay. Um, certainly, certainly spend some time in our kitchens. Um, also here in the Bayada center is Sheetal, um, Bahirat, um, who has avo, which is a, a tea, antioxidant rich tea made from avocado seeds. We actually which, have an episode of her already oh, great. on the Food yeah. Magic podcast. That's great. So that came right out of the Food Lab, and we right. continued um, to work together. Um, we also have a number of brands that are pretty well-known um, that have come through for various um, types of support. Um, mm-hmm. Brands like Sum Foods, um, St. Lucifer Spice, Cow and the Curd, uh, and then you know also national brands that... Um, you see every day, Aramark, um, yeah. Bimbo Bakeries, um, Bumblebee, um, McCormick. So um, you increasingly, as we have a few years under our belt, it's increasingly likely that something you eat today will have had some sort of input from one of our students or, or um, someone in our lab, which is super exciting. Definitely, definitely. 
Um, and the whole goal of this podcast is to show people that it's a 360 degree business. You can't just come in with business acumen. You can't just come in with the food industry experience. You have to find a way to make all aspects of that work together. And it's really tricky. And the truth is there are many resources online, including YouTube, Khan Academy. You can probably sit in on some fantastic classes at Drexel if you ask nicely. Um, but overall, like, it needs to be treated from every aspect of, of the business. And that's something that, from my standpoint, was really tricky because I didn't have a background in food. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot as I mm -hmm. went along. Mm -hmm. I obviously worked a lot with, with you guys as professors. And, and now we have some fantastic culinary students that are in your program working on R&D. And it's gone much further, much faster than it could have if I was the person focusing on it. So I definitely think that it's really important to look to the schools for the next step in innovation. And that brings me to my next question. What do you think is the future, or what, what's the next phase of education for this industry? What do you think is gonna happen in the school and what's gonna make the biggest impact for the students? That's a great question. I, um, I don't know what's gonna happen. I can't really speak for the university, but I can tell you, I think what I, what I see happening in culinary education, I think we're doing a great job of this, um, but also a lot of our peer institutions are looking at this as well. Um, culinary school used to be really focused on teaching people how to cook mm -hmm. and then getting people into a production environment. Right. So you make a cake, that you get a grade, and then you can become a baker and make 100 cakes, and you do that in class, and that's the end goal. Um, we're seeing a lot more interest in food innovation as mm -hmm. kind of a, a, not just a career path, although it is a great career path, but also a framing for what to do with this stuff. So that cooking really just becomes a beginning. Yeah. And so instead of saying, okay, you can come to Drexel or any university for four years. At the end of those four years, you'll get a job as a cook, maybe a co-op along the way. You can be cooking by freshman year. You know, summer yeah. after freshman year, the good students are getting their hands dirty in a restaurant you know, on their summer vacation, mm -hmm. ready to go into sophomore year and into practicum and co-op and so on. So really, by the time you graduate, you're not looking for that entry-level job. You're looking to take a step up. Mm -hmm. And you can say, I've had four years, not full-time, on and off, full-time during co-op, you know, part-time maybe during, during the school year. But you have four years of experience in this industry and can really take it to the next level. And that may be R&D, uh, it may be management, uh, you know, a junior sous chef or a line cook or a lead line cook. Um, it just depends on the setting. Um, but we're seeing a lot more success, I think, in our graduates getting them out into the world early. And, and a, a lot of my colleagues in, um, in food and hospitality, Rosemary Trout and Mike Trout, have really been pushing the, that uh, engagement for our students. And I, I think it's really paid off. That's amazing. So I'm going to ask you the question we ask everyone. What was your food magic moment? What was the moment that made you fall in love with food? So I, I always say we have two types of students. Um, we have students who learned how to cook at someone's apron strings and have really fond memories of family meals. And, mm -hmm. and, and then we have students whose, whose parents were not the best cooks and who had to learn to cook to fend for <laughs> themselves. And, I won't say which one I am out of respect for my mother. <laughs> um, 
but but I grew up as in a very healthy household. Everything was wow. low fat, non fat. <laughs> um, you know, cooking was about nutrition, mm-hmm. and I I still remember so vividly my my food magic moment. I was I was maybe maybe five or six years old, and I went to a friend's house, and he poured me a coke. <laughs> like it was nothing, just just like a glass of Coca-Cola from the fridge. And I remember tasting it, and it just blew my mind. <laughs> I had never had anything so delicious in my life. I'd never had that much sugar. That, that one glass of Coke was probably as much sugar as I ate in a month, you know, wow. normally. We didn't have sugar cereal. We didn't have that stuff. And I was just like, wow, I didn't know food could be this good. I was just, I was hooked. And so... Unfortunately, the flip side is it's something I struggled with. Like if you grow up healthy, it seems like it's going to be a great thing. Mm -hmm. But also you just, I just love junk food and those (laughs) flavors, sweet and salty and all those, all those delicious flavors. So, um, it's an occupational hazard for sure being in this field. Forbidden things always taste better. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, what are you currently researching now? Um, so our areas in the food lab, we do work around, we say we do good food product development and good food is a very broad umbrella, mm-hmm. but all of them have some aspect of sustainability, health promotion or access. So we're trying to solve real world problems through better food and through market driven approaches. So um, we're doing quite a bit right now. Um, we have a grant um, from the Centers for Disease Control through the city of Philadelphia that's focused on, it's called the Sodium Reduction in Communities Program. Mm-hmm. It's our largest project, and uh, we're in a, our third year right now of a five-year grant focused on um, reformulating foods that, that people, especially Philadelphians, but people more broadly eat every day mm-hmm. that are um, high sources of hidden sodium. Uh, we just had a big win um, with the Philadelphia School District, we worked with Amorosos and reformulated the, um, the role, the hoagie role for yeah. all of um, Philly schools. So there's now 1.68 million hoagie rolls that are going to have our formula, wow. um, which took 1,300 pounds of salt out of the school system. So wow. when you, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> It's. I think it's great for students to see the impact of their work, you know, because mm-hmm. it's like, oh yeah, what did what did you do today? Oh, I just I just rebaked something with less salt. It sounds like no big deal, but when you see these little incremental changes, magnified in sure. that way, you can have huge impact. And that's one product on the menu some days, right? Mm-hmm. So then, if we do additional products. Um, you, you see it kind of snowballing from there. So that's, that's been a big push for us. Um, we're also doing a lot of work with food upcycling. So taking mm-hmm. um, the, the avocado um, tea is a great example. Taking something that until now has been a waste product mm-hmm. and looking for opportunities to convert that into something that is not only um, possible to make a food product out of but desirable and delicious and and taking something that you know waste is actually a big cost for most companies you have to you have to pay to get to throw out your trash so if we could make that trash revenue neutral or even cost positive and keep great nutrients um, like antioxidants which we all need as much of as we can (laughs) 
um, getting micronutrients and macronutrients out of the trash can and into people is great. Um, so it's, it's, that's been a really rewarding area for us as well. That's awesome. Not on such a healthy note, but we have a lot of waste in our factory too. And we've been working to upcycle some of the waste from the factory that we work in. So they're famous for their cheesecakes. Sometimes they come down the line cracked. And as a first generation American, it hurts my heart to see a whole cheesecake go to waste. So we've found a way to repurpose them into dessert shooters. So oh, that's the, awesome. the nutrients might not be there, but same thing, you know, there's so much food going into the trash yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, there are people in the world that can't afford food at all. So I think it's up to us in the food industry to make gems out of the trash, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> to absolutely, do something better. Absolutely. And it sounds delicious. <laughs> Thanks. I'll bring you some samples soon. Please. <laughs> Um, so what does a typical day look like for you or for in one of your classrooms or maybe just for you in general? You must have to balance your time between being in the classroom, being an administrator, and then also being in the lab. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, and each day is a little bit different, which is a lot of fun. So um, I spend a lot of time um, meeting with food companies, meeting with entrepreneurs, which is my favorite thing to do. That's why I spend mm -hmm. so much time on it. Um, <laughs> I also love teaching and my, my classes are as hands-on as possible. Uh, the administration is something I don't love. I should spend more time on things like grant accounting and uh, P card reconciliation, but fortunately I have some great support and um, mm -hmm. I do it when I can. Uh, and then there's a research component to all of this. So everything yeah. we do, we write and we publish. And that's another wow. thing that I enjoy writing. Um, I do some freelance writing and I, I you know, for, for popular writing and I, I have written books and articles, but um, it's a different kind of work. It's sort of yeah. isolating, tedious work. Sure. And so it's good. I, I really like to have the balance. I think if I were, um, my brother's a high school teacher, I think I would lose my mind if I taught <laughs> six hours a day, five days a week. It's just too much for mm -hmm. me. I love teaching, you know, a couple, you know, one, two, three classes as, as I do at Drexel, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of conversely, I love, um, writing and, and seeing an article, you know, published or a book published. Um, but I think if I had to write 40 or 50 hours a week, I would lose my mind. So yeah. having that variety and that balance, um, I find really rewarding. And it's higher ed is a, is a great um, field to do that because I mm -hmm. think most people don't hire um, people with very eclectic schedules, you know. <laughs> so from everything that you've written, what piece or book or article are you most proud of? Um Oh, that's a great question. I'm proud of them in different ways, but I think one of one of the books that I, I published um, over 10 years ago is called Culinary Improvisation. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, I think, maybe a little bit ahead of its time. It didn't do very well sales-wise. And, you know, we had three or four colleges used it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it was really preaching a lot of the things we're seeing now in terms of culinary innovation and thinking differently about culinary education, not just telling students to follow recipes. Yeah. So now um, it's out of print. And now my publisher just told me that they're getting a lot of requests for it. So it's coming That's back, awesome. you know, so it's it's fun. Um, and, and it's time and, to print another batch. Yeah, yeah. So they're, <laughs> we're going to do a new edition um, and, and reprint it. Um, but that, I mean, that's the most rewarding thing, right? I, I think sometimes we forget, academics forget, because we, we um, 
the publications are sort of the currency of academe and you mm-hmm. you get your work out and you do one paper after another um and and it's important but the we have to remember that it's important because people read this stuff and it, yeah. it should be impactful and so it's really rewarding when someone says oh yeah I, I um i read your work it's it's changed the way i think or changed the way i do things in the kitchen and or the classroom and and you know that's what it's all about yeah for sure um, what are some resources or tips that you would give to our listeners that might be at the beginning of their foodpreneur journey or maybe they're further along or maybe it's just someone that loves food or is within the food industry? Yeah, I think um, actually where we started on this podcast is, is a good one, which is if you're not food savvy in terms of, you know, knowing your way around the kitchen or the food science lab partner, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. our students have found success working with entrepreneurs who bring the business side to to the equation, um, mm-hmm. but they really bring the food expertise. And I, I think having that balance is important. Um, I think um, being realistic uh, about your timeline and your goals and your expectations is important. Um, you know, we work, as I mentioned, we work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are like, hey, can I stop by tomorrow and pick up, like, five gallons of samples? It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Like, I need some lead time. I need to order all the ingredients. Like, you, we can help you, but it has to be kind of... It's it's a slow and steady pace for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, the, from what I've seen, the very successful entrepreneurs have been just doggedly persistent and not afraid of rejection and just, yeah. you know... <laughs> They may hear a hundred times that their idea is stupid or it can't work on this machine or it's too complicated or it's too expensive or it's not, the shelf life isn't long enough and they just keep going yeah. and, and working through all those hurdles. And I, I've seen that with your business. I can relate. <laughs> um, and, and I think a lot of, a lot of times our students or, or entrepreneurs in general, they hit one of those roadblocks and they're like, you know what? It's not a good idea. And, and it, you know, that may be true, um, but I think um, there's a lot to be said for just that that persistence. Because I will say that all of the successful entrepreneurs we've worked with have, have had that persistence. It's mm, a really good, that's a little good pearl of wisdom right there. <laughs> um, so what is your favorite meal to make? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, Do you cook a lot for your family? I cook. Whenever I'm home, I cook. Uh, my wife's a good cook, too. So I... <laughs> I um, but but I, I don't do well. If if I'm home and she's in the kitchen, it, it gives me some anxiety. So Ooh, I, I, like okay. to, I like to cook if I'm home. Um, I've been keeping a sourdough going for years now that I got wow. from a friend who lives on... Um, the North Fork, not the North Fork, the North Shore of Long Island, and um, she harvested it from the air, and wow. it's really delicious. Um, so I try to make sure I use that every week. So we make pizza or bread or something baked with sourdough, That's which awesome. is a lot of fun. Um, so I, I love doing that. I, I get excited for um, fall and winter because I like making soups and stews. Mm-hmm. Um, but I everything I like to cook I, uh, I like to cook anything anything and everything would you be open to sharing a family recipe with us 
doesn't yeah. have to be a family recipe, but <laughs> absolutely no, absolutely. I have to think of a family okay. recipe. Okay, we'll, we'll link it in the show notes. All right. Oh yeah, yeah. I thought you. Yeah, you not me to not tell right, you now, right now, but yeah, you yeah. can pick oh, whatever absolutely. you want to share. Happy to do that. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, so another question about education. So in the hospitality school, are there any classes that also focus on the business of the hospitality industry, or is it? not really that's not really part of the education and that's where I saw like for me my education in terms of hospitality fell short because it was really difficult to take classes inter schools most of my mm -hmm. schooling was in the Lebeau School of Business which was amazing but you know I think now there's more collaboration between the uh -huh. schools which I think is there awesome. is yeah we don't we don't do a ton of business education because all of our students are not quite required but but sort of the default, classes. yeah, the default minor for all of them is a minor in either business administration, mm -hmm. entrepreneurship, or marketing. Okay, got so, it. So, and that was true even back, I was a student here in the 90s and, and um, have my minor from LeBeau. Mm -hmm. So, um, rather, I think our thinking is rather than, you know, teach, we used to have a class, for example, called hospitality accounting. Mm-hmm. And then, in addition, they took accounting, accounting, right. you know, 15 so, credits. So, why make them credits. do accounting so make twice? Them do it yeah, twice? That sounds gruesome. <laughs> so, we do offer some hospitality specific business classes, like mm -hmm. hospitality HR is a good example. There are some differences, sure. right? You don't deal a lot with tipped employees and things like that in, in, in Lebeau, other industries. Right? In yeah. other industries. So, there are some hospitality specific um, business classes. Um, but one of the advantages to being in a university is it's so easy relatively to study. You know, we do have entrepreneurship minors here in close and um, uh, business and marketing minors in Lebeau. Mm -hmm. And so we don't need to reinvent all of that stuff. Whereas a lot of culinary schools that are more isolated or just culinary schools have to kind of do everything from scratch. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, well, thank you so, so much for your time. Is there anything else you want to share? No, with our I'm, I'm delighted listeners? to be invited. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, come see us. If we can be helpful, we will try our best. Is there a good way for our listeners to connect with you, whether it be email or just through the Drexel website? Yeah, um, Drexel Food Lab at drexel.edu or jdeutsch at drexel.edu is probably the best way, or just Google us and you will see us all over social media and the <laughs> Drexel website and everywhere else gotta love google john thank you so much for your time today it was a pleasure to spend a few moments really diving more deeply into your story and thank you for what you do for the students and the fantastic people that work with your lab yeah the pleasure was mine thanks Oop, looks like we're all out of time for today. Thanks so much for tuning in to discover the secret recipe to food and beverage industry success. Make sure to tune into next week's episode. And in the meantime, spread the love. Check us out on Instagram or our website, Food Magic Podcast. Mwah!